wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. And we're back, folks, right here on Wrestle Rant Radio for June 28th, 2018. I am Graham Gius and Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And what is our final show of the first half of 2018, which is crazy to think about, that 2018 is halfway over. The month of June alone has been extremely newsworthy and a lot of fun, but really, all of 2018 up to this point has just flown by. And before you know it, 2019 will be right there. And I mean, we're getting Infinity War Part 2, we're getting WrestleMania 30. Five here in the New York, New Jersey area, so I'm looking forward to 2019, but don't get me wrong, 2018 has been a great year as well, and the remainder of the year should be even better than the first half, but nonetheless, we are back here on WrestleRant Radio. I have still yet to catch up 100% from all the things going on in the world of wrestling from the last week and a half. I've been so busy coming back from the Chicago trip to Money in the Bank a week and a half ago. I'm still not caught up with everything yet. I will be hoping, I'm hoping to be caught up by everything, with everything by the weekend. So I have a few days, and I will be off, I think, from work in like the mornings of like Friday, Saturday, and probably Sunday. So I'm looking to catch up on everything. So if you're still looking out for some like missing reviews and YouTube content and stuff like that, it will be up, hopefully, fingers crossed, in the coming days, but there is still a lot to talk about here on today's show. I'm going to try to fill up the hour talking everything going on in the world of WWE and beyond. Currently, there's a lot to discuss, a lot of exciting things going down, but before we get started, of course, guys, you can check me out on the socials, on the Twitter machine, follow me there at WrestleRant, find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews on YouTube as well, youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews, and of course, New episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday, with the exception of last week where the show went up on a Saturday uh, in a rare instance just because I was busy throughout the week and the show had to be delayed. Don't kill me, but the show is back to being on Thursdays. Every single Thursday right here, not only on NextAirWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Subscribe, rate the show, review the show. You not only get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013, you get all the new episodes as well every single Thursday. As soon as it's posted online, you'll get it to your streaming device, whether it be your phone, iPad, whatever. As soon as it's up, just like that, convenient, easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe today. Um, So like I said, there is plenty to talk about, plenty to discuss in the world of WWE right now between Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 205 Live, and also my two cents on this past week's NXT UK TV tapings, which were great. Um, They were taped last week. They aired this past Monday and Tuesday, respectively. Shockingly, I caught up a lot quicker than I thought I would. Couldn't watch the Monday. I was busy on Monday, Um, but I did watch everything 
on Tuesday before and after SmackDown. So I watched night one of the WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament, and night two was the NXT UK Championship Special, which was also excellent. So I'll talk more about that soon enough. But first, this Friday, the month of June is ending with a bang as we have Ring of Honor's Best in the World pay-per-view, and I couldn't be more excited. I mean, I was in attendance for the most recent set of TV tapings in New York City, which finally made the air this past week. Um, The best match on the entire show. We were there for like four or five hours that Saturday on my birthday of June 2nd in the Hammerstein Ballroom. It was a great time. The show never once dragged because they constantly kind of kept up the excitement and the attention of the fans and stuff like that by delivering great match after great match after great match. And the best match on the entire show finally made it to air this past week. The main event between the Young Bucks and Adam Page taking on Punishment Martinez, who I'll talk more about momentarily because I had no clue he won the Ring of Honor World Television title until literally right before I started recording the show. But again, more on that momentarily. Punishment Martinez and the Briscoes taking on the Bullet Club's Young Bucks and Adam Page. Just a stellar six-man tag team match. It closed out the evening when we went a few weeks ago. It was the first TV main event to air on on uh, Ring of Honor TV this past week on the Fight TV app, on whatever channel they're on now, on their website, whatever. Um, you can check it out all there, and it's a great match. And if you don't check it out, you're definitely missing out. But it definitely got me hyped for this Friday's Best in the World pay-per-view, which on paper has a pretty strong lineup, and I'm going to give all my picks and predictions right here on the show right now. Starting with the eight-woman tag team match, pinning the Ring of Honor Women of Honor champion Sumi Sakai against the likes of, or having her team with, rather, Jenny Rose, Mayo Abatani, and Tennille Dashwood, the former Emma, of course, taking on Kelly Klein and Odeo Tai, uh, a, a group consisting of Hazuki, Kajuki, uh, Kajuki, I, I don't know how you pronounce her name, and Hana Kimura. Uh, I have not heard of most of these women. Awatani, I've only heard of from the most recent Women of Honor Championship Tournament. And she was great. She had an awesome match with Deanna Perrazzo. Um, This should be good. I'm glad the women are getting more TV time lately. As opposed to being on Ring of Honor TV like every few months. Now they're on the show like almost every single week. Which is great. Um, So this match doesn't really have any major implications whatsoever. I would assume the babyface, the group... Of Sakai and Dashwood, Awatani and Rose will go over here. Um, Dashwood, I'm surprised she doesn't have more of a presence in the Women of Honor, Women of Honor division in Ring of Honor. Um, just because she is a big star, she's great in the ring, has an awesome look. I mean, all the reasons why they should have pushed her in WWE to begin with, but they didn't and let her go. Um, I mean, she's been on most of the Ring of Honor live events, wrestling I know, but I'm surprised she has yet to step up for a shot at the Ring of Honor, uh, Women of Honor Championship. So hopefully at some point in the not-so-distant future, maybe they tease tension here. I thought she was a heel. I guess not, and I guess they realized that she's popular, and they positioned her as a babyface from the get-go in Ring of Honor. But nonetheless, this should be a good match. If I had to choose, it really doesn't matter either way because there's nothing on the line here. Um, I would assume Sakai's team will go over and uh, pick up the victory. Also here in the show, we got Kenny King taking on the returning Austin Aries, who recently resurfaced in Ring of Honor over WrestleMania weekend. Actually, I think before that, he might have come back at the Manhattan Mayhem show. Or maybe the, I think it might have been like the 16th anniversary show. I can't remember exactly, but it, he did resurface in Ring of Honor a few months ago. 
And um, he's been a great get for ROH. I mean, Austin Aries is one of the hottest free agents in pro wrestling right now. Between his work on the Indies and Impact as the current Impact World Champion, and now back in Ring of Honor. I know at one point he was targeting the Ring of Honor World Television title. He lost that match to Silas Young in a recent episode of Ring of Honor TV. And now he's teased tension with Kenny King because he thought Kenny King kind of cost him the championship. Um, I thought we would get a three-way with Silas Young for the belt. Silas Young is apparently no longer the Ring of Honor World Television Champion, so that's obviously won't that, that won't be the case. Um, but it will be King and Aries one-on-one. This should be a great match. <sighs> Aries is the heel here. It's kind of hard to choose who's going to go over if I had to choose. I'll say Kenny King. I don't know how long Aries will be in Ring of Honor for. If they have to give, they got to give the regular the rub. I would imagine with Kenny King picking up the victory. I mean, I guess they could stretch this out, and I would, I would love it to if it was you know a full fledged long term rivalry between the two. But um, I just assume it's a one shot deal. There is coming back for the match, putting over King, and that's it. So I'll go with Kenny King as your victor here. Uh, speaking of which, the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, as I previously mentioned was at one point held by Silas Young. Um, I guess he dropped the belt, I just found out a few minutes ago, To he dropped the belt to Punishment Martinez at one of their state-of-the-art, master-of-the-art, whatever that event was called when they were touring Texas a few weeks ago. Dropped it over Money in the Bank weekend. Maybe it was because I was busy um, with you know in Chicago with Money in the Bank weekend doing other stuff and I just never heard about it. But yeah, apparently I didn't know until I looked it up on Wikipedia, and I thought Wikipedia might have been wrong, but then I did further research and found out Punishment Martinez is, in fact, the new Ring of Honor World Television Champion, and well-deserved. I think it's great. Um, the guy's awesome. He's been on the rise now for quite a while, for the past year or two. Um, but yeah, he will be defending the championship on this show in a Baltimore street fight against Adam Page. Now, these two have been going at it now for a few months. I think they were supposed to have a match at the... Um, Super Card of Honor show that went to like a no contest or something. It was one of those type of shows. But yeah, they've been at odds now for a while. They've been having really good matches um, every single time they've clashed. The street fight stipulation is perfect for this feud. This should be an awesome match. The title being on the line only makes it that much more meaningful. Uh, Martinez just won the belt. I would have Adam Page go over. Adam Page is another guy that is a star on the rise right now. And he's been popular for a few years ever since he joined the Bullet Club. In the spring of 2016. But really he's coming to his own as an athlete. As a performer. Um, just all around excellent is Adam Page. And I expect him to continue to serve as a breakout star. In the months and years to come in Ring of Honor. Um, as long as he doesn't jump ship to WWE or NXT or anywhere else. But nonetheless. Martinez being the newly crowned Ring of Honor TV champion. I mean I guess I could see him dropping the belt so soon to Adam Page. Because Adam Page is an equally hot hand right now. But if I had to choose, Martinez retains the title and Adam Page stays in chase mode. As long as this is not the end of the feud, because again, I assume this is going to be a great match and maybe Adam Page gets screwed over by Martinez and they keep the feud alive going into the next pay-per-view, whatever that might be. But again, I do expect this to be awesome either way with Punishment Martinez walking out still the Ring of Honor World Television Champion. Another match I'm really looking forward to on the show, Jay Lethal taking on Kushida. Now, I love what Lethal's story has been now for the last couple of months, where without the Ring of Honor world title, which he has not held in close to two years, he feels lost. And the only way to get back to world title contention is to beat everyone who has beaten him recently. So he's lost to Matt Taven. He's lost to Punishment Martinez. 
He got pinned by Chuck Taylor on a recent Ring of Honor War of the World show. On a recent uh, War of the World show. He has avenged every single one of those losses, with the exception of the one to Kushida a few months ago. And he's going to get that opportunity to avenge that loss on this show. So, in the ring, this is going to be fucking awesome. I love Kushida. I'm not too, too familiar with the New Japan pro wrestling scene. I don't follow it too closely. But ever since I saw him debut, or not debut, but ever since I saw him have that Back to the Future gimmick, the Time Splitter gimmick with the with the vest and you know the, just the whole overall appearance of something straight out of Back to the Future, I've just become a huge Kushida fan. In addition to the fact that he's got a great theme song and the guy is just fucking fantastic in the ring. Um, so again, in the ring, this should be just an excellent match. And of the two, I think Lethal's got to go over. Kushida has nothing to gain here from beating Lethal. Lethal is on the rise en route to becoming Ring of Honor World Champion again, which would be great to see Lethal still one of the best hands they have in Ring of Honor. He kind of felt directionless for a while after dropping the title two years ago. But now he seems to be back on track, um, beating, again, like I said, everyone who has beaten him in recent months. And the next person on that list is Kushida at Best in the World. And that streak will continue on Friday night. Uh, for the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team titles, it's the Kingdom's Matt Taven, TK Ryan, and Vinny Marsalia taking on Los Ingobernables de Japón, uh, Bushi, Evil, and Sonata. That was an awful, awful pronunciation, by the way, so I apologize for that. But again, another fun match. Um, I would highly doubt that Los Ingobernables will be uh, winning the championships here. I mean, they have been in Ring of Honor, like on and off for a few months now. But I'd be very surprised if the New Japan faction took the titles from a Ring of Honor trio. And I mean, I guess it's possible. But the Kingdom is another trio that just recently won gold, a lot like Punishment Martinez, and I'd be surprised if they dropped the championship so soon. I think they beat SoCal Uncensored, who have really been growing on me. And I've always enjoyed the addiction, but just the trio of, um, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Daniels. Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. They've really been growing on me on as a unit, growing on me as a unit ever since they started appearing on the uh, Being the Elite show from the Young Bucks. The whole uh, SCU, SCU, like that whole shtick they do on the show is just hilarious, and I find it to be great. Uh, they still have a lot of mileage left with that group, so hopefully they get the belts back at some point. But the Kingdom are. On a roll right now, I'd be shocked if they drop the belts, and I don't think they will. Still, your Ring of Honor, rolled six-man tag team champions, the Kingdom. Flip Gordon taking on Bully Ray on the show after Bully Ray's recent issues with Cheeseburger. Flip Gordon stepping up to the plate to kind of uh, represent the younger crew at Ring of Honor, standing up to the uh, grizzled old bitter vet and Bully Ray. So this should be a fun match if they tell the right story. Um, Bully Ray... I really have no interest in seeing him back in the ring at this point in 2018. The guy is an amazing heel. We kind of learned that in Impact. And, you know, the guy can be a great heel, but just it, it, it just feels like he doesn't really need to be a part of the roster. If they utilize him well, and they kind of have so far in this feud with Cheeseburger, now Flip Gordon, they've done right by him. Um, so this has been good so far. And as long as the match is good, I'm fine with Bully Ray sticking around for the foreseeable future as a singles act, um, despite the fact that he retired late last year, but whatever. Uh, again, this should be a good match. Bully Ray does not need the victory. I could see them having him beat Gordon just to kind of add more heat to his current gimmick and become a bigger heel in the process. I think that would be a mistake. Flip Gordon is just an amazing athlete. The guy is really, really good. Another guy that has been slowly but surely, gradually building momentum and getting the fans on his side in recent months. 
Um, so to have him lose here, I think, would be a massive mistake. So Flip Gordon is my pick here to go over. For the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles, coming down to our final two matches here, assuming no other matches are added to the card at the last minute. We have the Briscoes, Jay and Mark Briscoe defending the gold against the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. Uh, this is going to be fucking great. This is going to be awesome. Uh, these two teams have had their fair share of matches over the last number of years since I started watching Ring of Honor on a regular basis in the summer of 2015, and every one of their encounters has been exceptional. This will be no exception. Uh, no pun intended, I guess. But um, yeah, no, this is shaping up to be just an awesome match, and the Young Bucks are, as they always have been, one of the hottest acts in Ring of Honor right now, but so have the Briscoes been as well. The Briscoes have also been on quite the roll for themselves. Ever since they went heel late last year and took those titles from, um, who was it, the Motor City Machine Guns at the 16th anniversary show back in March. I wouldn't take the belts off them so soon. They've only been champions now for a few months. I would have them run through a few more teams before they drop the championships. And maybe this feud continues past this point. I would love it to because the matches are sure to be stellar. Yeah, but I would have the Briscoes retain. I think for whatever reason, I think the Briscoes will find a way to win, retain those titles, but the Young Bucks won't be dis beaten decisively, and they'll get another shot of the straps at some point in the, uh, again, in, 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 in the near future, hopefully winning those belts from the Briscoes, maybe by the end of the summer. And then we get to the main event, a three-way match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Cody, Marty Skrull, vying for the gold against one Dalton Castle, who's Reign as Ring of Honor World Champion has not been the most exciting. It's been good. It's been solid. He's had some nice matches with the likes of Marty Skrull. He had a very good match with Jay Lethal back at the um, 16th anniversary show and a few other people. But um, Punishment Martinez and I faced on an episode of Ring of Honor TV. He's had a lot of good matches. The fact he recently got hurt didn't really help his momentum all too much because he was out hurt for like at least a month or so. But he will be back in action for this show, assuming they don't do a last-minute angle where he's written out and then it becomes Cody and Marty one-on-one -on -one for the Ring of Honor title. Um, but again, should be a real interesting match to see how much tension is teased between Cody and Marty. I mean, Bullet Club is fine. They're still dragging that thing out, which has been an interesting angle to follow. It certainly kept my attention, but have they dragged it out past the point of where people you know, start to lose interest? You know what I mean? Um, but again, it's going to be... You know, we're not really sure. The jury is still out as to whether Cody might turn on Marty just to regain the Ring of Honor world title, or vice versa. Maybe Marty turns on Cody, and Marty becomes the Ring of Honor world champion. Either way, quite honestly, I do not see Dalton Castle leaving Maryland as the Ring of Honor world champion. I just don't. Um, I like Dalton Castle a lot. I think he's done a good job as the Ring of Honor world champion in recent months, but you gotta strike while the iron is hot, and the fact of the matter is, is that Cody and Marty are the ones with momentum on their side right now. Of the two, I would put the belt on Marty. Cody had his run. Not to say I'd be disappointed by a Cody win. Cody becoming a two-time Ring of Honor World Champion would be pretty cool. It would position him, you know, it would put him in a pretty good place going into that Kenny Omega IWGP title match where he was kind of in a similar spot last year, I think at the G1. I think it was at the G1. He faced Okada at some sort of special in early July of 2017, where he was the Ring of Honor World Champion going into that match, vying for the belt against Okada. And he lost, of course, and he's going to lose again against Omega. So I would not put the belt on Cody, having him go into the IWGP or the New Japan show to lose yet another IWGP title match. 
uh, as Ring of Honor World Champion, I don't know. It doesn't gonna do damage. It's not gonna do damage to the belt at all. But I just think it might be too predictable. So anyway, I would have Marty Scurll get the belt. The guy has been primed for a breakout year in 2018. He had a great run as Ring of Honor World Champion last year. The only way for him to go from there was up. And now that he's in the Ring of Honor World Title picture, this might be his final shot at the strap after losing to Dalton Castle of the over WrestleMania weekend. If he loses here, this might be the last ever opportunity he gets to becoming a Ring of Honor World Champion. So, I would have Marty Scurll win. I don't think he will. My official prediction is Cody. But I do really desperately want to see Marty Scurll become the new Ring of Honor World Champion on this show. But overall, it has potential. Best in the world 2018 should be an awesome event. If you're not currently watching Ring of Honor, you should be. The product is doing... Uh, a lot of good stuff right now. They have a lot of great competitors. They're building their company around from Dalton, from Marty Skrull, to Cody, Jay Lethal, Kenny King, the returning Austin Aries, Punishment Martinez, Adam Page, and so many other awesome athletes. Um, you can check out the show, I believe, on Honor Club. I am an Honor Club subscriber. I've yet to watch a live pay-per-view through Honor Club. I only really watch it on delay. Um, but it should be fun to follow. Um, I will not be around on Friday when it airs, but I do look forward to watching it the very next day as soon as possible. But that is my picks, preview, and predictions for Ring of Honor's Best in the World pay-per-view this coming Friday. Now we transition into some talk about WWE. Um, a pretty solid past week in WWE. Before we talk about Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, gotta talk about the UK shows for Monday and Tuesday. Hands down the best shows WWE produced. All week. Um, Raw I thought was good on Monday. SmackDown was a bit better. NXT I thought was great. But you can't miss out on the WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament show from Monday. And more importantly, the NXT UK Championship show from Tuesday. It felt like a mini takeover. From the atmosphere and the audience to the in-ring action, the title matches, the title change at the start of the show... It, it was a great night. It was really, really cool. And again, I didn't watch it live. And we already knew about the title change. It was spoiled by WWE themselves about a week ago on .com as soon as it happened. Which, you know, I don't blame them at all because it was going to get out anyway on social media from the people that were there. So WWE might as well capitalize on that. Um, but nonetheless, it was a great show. The first night... I mean, in total, it's about five hours. The first night was about two and a half. The second show was about two and a half hours as well. Um, the first night largely consisted of the tournament matches, with Zach Gibson emerging victorious, earning the opportunity to divide for the belt against Pete Dunne on Tuesday, which was an amazing match. Um, but also on that Monday show, we had the Undisputed Era's Adam Colbebe, Roderick Strong, and Kyle O'Reilly taking on British Strong style, consisting of Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, and Pete Dunne, which was a fantastic match. A match I had been looking forward to ever since it was teased, um, at TakeOver New Orleans a few months ago. And it more than lived up to my lofty expectations. It was a really, really fun match. Not a single dull moment. The crowd was into it from start to finish. A great finish to the match with British Strong Style winning and earning an opportunity, um, earning a title shot of the NXT Tag Team Championship the very next night. So we'll talk more about that momentarily. But um, yeah, night one was a lot of fun. Night two had multiple title matches. Shayna Baszler versus Tony Storm for the NXT Women's Championship, which was might have been the best Baszler match I've ever seen, to be honest. The Ember Moon matches were good. The Nikki Cross match was pretty good. Um, the Tony Storm match, I thought, had just an excellent layout. Tony Storm is a perennial babyface. She looks like someone that you just want to rally behind. 
Um, in the ring, she's great. On the mic, she's very good. She has a certain presence about her that just makes her a star. So if the reports are true and WWE signed her to some sort of a deal, whether it be with the UK brand or an NXT, that's a big get because Tony Storm is really, really good. And she's only like 21, 22 years old, if that. Um, she's still really, really young and has a very bright future ahead of her. But I like the finish to that match because it ended in a countout, leaving the possibility open, leaving the door open for a future rematch down the road between Baszler and Tony Storm. So it protected Storm and defeat. Baszler still kind of won decisively. She locked in her submission finisher on the outside, left her there, but didn't bring her back in the ring. So Baszler won, retained the title, but she never pinned or submitted Tony Storm, who still owns a victory over Baszler from earlier on in her career. So again, there's a story to be told there, some unfinished business, and I like that a lot. They can always go back to that for the next TakeOver or a future TakeOver or the next NXT UK TV tapings, which I I believe are set to take place starting next month, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But that's a match I would love to see again at some point in the not-so-distant future. So that was a great match. The NXT Tag Team title match with Mustache Mountain, Trent Seven, and Tyler Bate beating O'Reilly and Strong for the NXT Tag Titles was a great way to kick off the night. Again, we all saw the title change coming because it was spoiled on social media the week prior, but it did not hinder my enjoyment of the outing in the slightest. All four guys have just tremendous chemistry together, very hard-hitting, the crowd was into it, they popped big for the title change. It was an amazing moment, an awesome feel-good moment for the hometown boys. Um, That was a great match. What else happened on the show? Um, Charlie Morgan versus Killer Kelly was the only match I wasn't all too impressed with. I thought that was just kind of there. Um, beyond that, though, the whole show was very, very good. Adam Cole versus Wolfgang for the NXT North American Championship was great. We had an NXT showcase with Ricochet teaming up with Aleister Black to take on EC3 and, uh, Velveteen Dream, which which was a really, really fun tag team match. Just a terrific tag team outing. And then the main event... Pete Dunne uh, successfully retaining his UK title against Zach Gibson. After a great showing, I'm sure Gibson will be brought back for the um, impending UK brand as one of the top heels of the show. But I was glad Dunne retained. It never really felt like at any point, I mean, Gibson came close to winning the championship, but it never at any point felt like the time was right to take that title off of Dunne. The guy is just firing in all cylinders right now. I would not have him drop that belt for a while to come. And he's already been champion for over a year, but Dunn is just so fucking good. So good that I would not take that belt off him anytime soon. But yeah, the whole special was great. Of the two, if you only had time to watch one, you only have two and a half hours to spend and not five to watch both specials from Monday and Tuesday of this past week, definitely check out Night 2. Night 2 had a lot of great title matches, a significant title change, and and an awesome main event. And that uh, tag title match, the NXT showcase was a lot of fun. The whole thing was just fantastic in my show of the week for WWE. So, again, check that out on the network. It's well worth seeking out. From Raw and SmackDown this past week, the stage was further set for next month's Extreme Rules pay-per-view as we announced, or found out, rather, at the start of Monday's Raw. Currently, the main event for Extreme Rules that was previously set by Kurt Angle on last week's show is now off. Due to contract, uh, a stag, a contract stag, as the commentators constantly said throughout the show, which I fucking hate when they do that, but they get like these words, these buzzwords like stag, 
or abeyant and stuff like that. And they say them and they say them and they say them and they say them. They just won't let it go. But yeah, there was a contractual stag with Brock Lesnar where he does not wish to defend his championship anytime soon. And therefore, there will not be, as of right now, a number one contender's multi-man match at Extreme Rules to determine Brock Lesnar's next challenger. Now, of course, it's all a storyline. Brock will be back to defend that championship at SummerSlam. Don't be foolish. And the match will happen at Extreme Rules. I have no doubt about that. I mean, I guess we could get Roman and Bobby one-on-one, but the five-way seems more likely. Hell, in my personal opinion, I was happy about the news because multi-man matches is the fucking last thing we need right now coming off of two multi-man ladder ladder matches at the last Money in the Bank pay-per-view. We had two. One with the men and one with the women. Why the fuck would you go back to doing another, uh, essentially, another multi-man number one contenders match when you just had that in the main event of this past month's pay-per-view? Makes no sense. So Roman and Bobby seems to make more sense just because they have the issues right now. I think it will be changed. But Roman and Bobby one-on-one would be uh, a lot of fun to watch. The Revival did beat them in tag team action this past week. Don't expect big things The Revival for the Revival just because they won here. Um, I believe it was just because Roman and Bobby teased tension. It's not because they have any big plans for the Revival to become the new Raw Tag Team Champions or whatever. But I mean, it was a cool win. I popped. But just I don't want to get my hopes up thinking, oh, the Revival, there's big things in store for the former NXT Tag Team Champions because there's not. If there was, they would have pushed them sooner. They would have had them, you know, they would have had them be the ones feuding over the Raw Tag Team titles right now with Woken, Matt Hardy, and Bray Wyatt. Not the fucking B team. But whatever. It is what it is. Um, speaking of the B teams, uh, the B team, B team's Curtis Axel did beat Woken, Matt Hardy in like a minute long match. Who the hell cares? Uh, speaking of tag team action, the Authors of Pain did resurface on Raw this past week. Finally, they could take their faces off the uh, milk carton, beating Rick and Rex Gibson. Not Zach Gibson. Rick and Rex Gibson, so maybe they're related somehow, I'm not sure. But a pretty standard squash match. They did tease an altercation backstage with Titus Worldwide, so expect that to be their their next set of victims on an upcoming episode of uh, Raw. So uh, glad to see the authors of Pain back at long last. Natalya took on the Raw Women's Champion Alexa Bliss in one-on-one action, non-title of course. Natalya won, which I thought was just stupid. Um, Alexa Bliss, why would you have her lose a non-title match literally eight days after winning the championship? I thought that was so dumb. And the match wasn't even that good. It was fine while it lasted, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. So I thought that was a dumb decision. Um, the Riot Squad merged victorious over Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Ember Moon. Uh, the match really was nothing known at all. Um, they started the match, went to commercial, and it ended as soon as they came back from commercial. So the match was a nothing match. But as soon as it ended... Bailey wasted absolutely no time. You hear ding, 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 and as soon as the bell rang, Bailey storms over to Banks and just starts beating the living hell out of her. That was amazing. And the funny thing is, is that Bailey has struggled to kind of maintain this popularity with the fans as a babyface over the last year, dating back to that awful, awful, awful "This Is Your Life" segment on Raw. So the thing with that was that she's kind of been, you know, floundering as a face for so long now that when she finally does something that's heelish, and make no mistake about it, Bailey was a heel here. I mean, I guess you could say tweener because the commentators weren't, like, disgusted by her actions. They were just kind of more surprised that she showed more aggression than usual. Uh, this was a heel Bailey turn. This was a the heel turn from Bailey here, at least from my point of view. I don't know how it couldn't be. If you're not watching this with any commentary, you would assume that she went heel turning on her best friend, a sore loser, 
and she was sick of her shit. But the interesting thing about it was that, again, she's been kind of booed on and off for so long now. Bailey has been on the main roster that when she finally does something awesome, she gets the biggest reaction that she's gotten in quite some time. So I still say that Banks should have been the one to go should have been the one to go heel, but uh, a fresh coat of paint for Bailey won't hurt anyone. If anything, it's only going to help you know further Bailey's career. I would hope. Um, but if they do go full throttle the Bailey heel turn, I hope they switch up her character somehow. I mean, they have to. They can't ever keep on coming out to the same music, which is great and it gets me all hyped up and happy. But that's the issue. It gets me all hyped up and happy. That should not be the case with a with a heel Bailey. It should be the exact opposite. So, hopefully, if they go all the way with a heel Bailey, they give her new music, a new look. She starts wearing her hair down even, um, a new attitude. And you would never think that Bailey. And you know, for people saying, "Oh, Bailey won't work as a heel. She's a perennial babyface," which is true. But I think a lot of us, myself included, said the same thing about Sami Zayn. And look where he is. I mean, currently on the shelf, but, you know, before he got hurt, he was a great heel. He did a lot better as a heel than I think anyone ever imagined him to. So, why not give Bailey a chance to run as a heel for a while? And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you can, you can transition her back into a babyface role. She is a natural babyface, but the, the, the fact of the matter is that WWE has fucked her up so bad on the main roster that a heel turn might be the only way to salvage her. And it might not. A heel turn might not work. But creative has a lot to do with that. Putting these two women in a fucking counseling session is not going to make me care any more about the feud than I did before. The issue with this program, storyline, feud, bad blood, whatever the hell you want to call it, the issue with it is that it has gone on for so long now that no one cares. And when they finally did something so exciting to kind of make people take notice of the feud again with Bailey beating the hell out of Banks on Raw... They then immediately squander any momentum it has by putting them in fucking counseling. So again, I hope this is not... They're, they're joking and it won't become like a rib or something. Like, I'm not really sure where they're going with this. Like, they did something similar years ago with Daniel Bryan and Kane, which is funny I talk about on, you know, this of all weeks, just because they recently reunited on SmackDown, which I'll get to momentarily. But they did something recently, or, you know, a few years back, rather, with Brian and Kane, them going to therapy, and it was great. Dr. Shelby was awesome in the role. It was a lot of fun. People ate that shit up, but that was supposed to be comedy. It was designed to be comedy. Banks and Bailey is not a comedic feud, so unless they're going that route and they're completely changing the uh, perception of their program, then why the fuck are they going to counseling? So again, maybe they'll exceed expectations and whatever the hell they have planned for them next week, but currently, I don't have much faith, but the bottom line is that Bailey as a heel could work. We don't know. For those saying that she's doomed to fail because she is a natural babyface, hey, you may be right. But we have yet to see her run as a heel in NXT and WWE, so give it a chance. And she very well might surprise us. No Way Jose was supposed to go up against Mojo Raleigh once again for the second straight week on the show. Never came to fruition. Raleigh uh, refused to face No Way Jose, calling it a joke. Instead, he kind of roughed around the um, the Rosebuds, the conga line dancers, whatever the hell you want to call them, and that was about it. Then he delivered a sucker punch to No Way Jose, and the segment ended. All right. Braun Strowman teaming up with Kevin Owens to take on Baron Corbin and Finn Balor. In a fun match, honestly, I found this to be a lot more fun than I thought it would be. 
and than I originally anticipated, and also a lot more fun than last week's main event, when it was Strowman and Balor against Owens and Corbin. That kind of felt like, yeah, I've been there, done that, very boring shit, I don't care. But this match, with kind of like the, um, the strange bedfellows vibe that had to it, with the unlikely tag team partner, Strowman teaming up with Owens, and Bo- uh, Corbin teaming up with Finn Balor, it was it was different. It ended in a countout, and no one really cared, but... You know, I think it has some potential. I think Strowman and Owens can be a lot of fun based off their interactions. Um, The one spot in the match where Strowman told Owens to go for the same spot that he always goes for, where, you know, he kind of runs around ringside and kind of plows through everyone with a shoulder block. He was about to do that, and then when he was going for it, Corbin just leveled with it. Corbin just leveled him with a clothesline. I thought that was a great spot because Owens is so great when he does it. (laughs) <laughs> when he, like, takes it seriously. I thought that was so funny, but... Yeah, no, this was a good match. Um, good chemistry with Strowman and Owens. I don't know how far it'll go. I expect them to not do what Brian and Keener are now doing on SmackDown. I expect them instead to, you know, um, team up and... Uh, not not team up, but rather go one-on-one at Extreme Rules. I think the rumors that they might face off in a steel cage match. For what reason, I don't know, other than the fact that it's Extreme Rules in every match, or most matches anyway should have some sort of stipulation attached to them. But we'll see. I mean, so far, so good. I mean, it's something different for Owens. The guy needs some sort of a bounce back. So having him st- having him team with Strowman for the time being is not a bad idea at all. And then the main event for the Intercontinental Championship, a rematch from Raw last week. Seth Rollins invoking his rematch clause against Dolph Ziggler in another outstanding match. Um, I can sit here and complain all day about Dolph Ziggler. He's overexposed. He's been here for too long. I don't care about his character. Blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, the guy can still flat out fucking go in that ring. And that was very much on display this past week when he and Rollins just burned it down. No pun intended. In the main event of Raw. Um, so an awesome main event. They gave them a lot of time, like well over 20 minutes. The only issue that I had with it was that it ended in a DQ. But it made sense. You weren't going to beat Rollins again. And Ziggler, you know, I mean, it would have been fine. I would have been fine with Rollins regaining the gold. But it's clear this is going to be more than a one-and-done type of feud. And that it will extend into Extreme Rules. The interesting thing about it was that after Rollins won the match by DQ, after Drew came back out, because he was booted from ringside at one point, he comes back out. They start attacking Rollins. Who else to make the save for Seth? Then none other than his old Shield running mate, not Dean Ambrose, unfortunately, but Roman Reigns. So Roman Reigns helps, you know, force McIntyre and Ziggler to flee from the ring. And that's that, likely setting up a tag team match for next week. Now, my question is this, is this merely the setup for a tag team match, which I assume it is, or could it be leading to something more? Now, I know Roman has his issues at the moment with Bobby Lashley, and they're both baby faces, but I said this before Money in the Bank. I think Drew McIntyre could be the perfect rival for Reigns right now, um, considering their like chosen one pasts and kind of their claim to fame as you know the rise to the top and feature stars and breakout single stars and, and whatever else. If only because the matches could be really, 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 really good and much better than anything that Roman could have produced with Jinder, including him Money in the Bank, which was abysmal at best. Um, but yeah, I think Reigns and McIntyre is a feud that could really help out Roman Reigns. Now, maybe not 
help people rally behind Reigns as a babyface because that just won't happen. No matter what WWE thinks they could do or what they do, just period, nothing. Nothing is going to change the people's perception of Roman Reigns in their mind. He's not the babyface that WWE desperately wants him to be. He's just not. And they won't you know, kind of hit, you know, I won't kick a dead horse here when, you know, because we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum over the last, what, three, three and a half years with Roman Reigns. He's not going to be the guy they want him to be if they keep on this current path with him. It's just not going to change. That being said, though, I think he could do a hell of a lot more for Drew McIntyre, who could really use a breakout program right now. Now, he could still be associated with Dolph Ziggler. Now, Ziggler said when he won the IC title on last week's show, that him and Drew are setting out to win more gold. I think Drew even said himself that this is the first of many titles to come for Drew and Dolph. So I'm hoping that's leading to some sort of a faction with more pe- more people being added. If it's just them two, that's fine too. But if it leads to more people being added and then them winning more gold, like even the Revival team teaming up with them could be great too, give them a nice boost. Uh, maybe get the Raw Tag Team titles on them at some point in the not-so-distant future, sooner rather than later, I would hope, then I'm all for it. And McIntyre may be entering Universal Championship contention. Now, I doubt he would be the one to face Brock at SummerSlam. It would be cool. I'm not, you know, putting my money on it. And also, too, um, with McIntyre and with Reigns, I think if it's not McIntyre and Reigns in a one-on-one feud going into the summer then we could maybe see, you know, Drew be the one to enter that multi-man match that is bound to happen at Extreme Rules. And, uh, you know, people are asking me, who do you see being added? And I think a lot of other people, this is by no means a bold prediction, but you already have Bobby and Reigns. It's a, If it's a five-way, which it was never really confirmed to be, it could be a six-way for all we know, but if it is indeed a five-way, which I think is good enough, because we already had eight people in the Money in the Bank ladder match, five match or five men for an Extreme Rules main event, is even then excessive, but it's just fine for what it is. You have Bobby, you have Roman, you add in Drew, and then throw in Corbin and Balor, who have had their issues recently, and boom, there you go. You got your main event for Extreme Rules. And then Drew, even in not winning, because he doesn't have to be pinned, obviously. That would be fucking stupid if he was. But he can go in there and have a great showing and hopefully prove to the powers that be that he still has a lot of untapped potential, which I think they already are aware of, they're really just kind of killing time with him right now with Dolph Ziggler. I'd rather have him doing that than having him, you know, facing losers every single week, like Bobby Roode or wrestling on main event or fucking getting, you know, beating up Kurt Hawkins or whatever, whatever the case may be. Getting beat by Jinder like Chad Gable has recently. And what a waste of talent that is. What a waste. What a waste. But with Drew, at least they have some sort of an idea of what they want to do with him from what it appears to me, uh, from what it looks like, and maybe we get Drew in the world title picture, you know, teasing going after the belt before he officially goes after the belt a little later on this year. So that's what I would do with Drew. The guy is just great, and he will be a top star in Raw in no time. But um, what we saw with him and Roman this week was interesting. So keep an eye out on that, because that really could lead to some sort of a full-fledged feud between them at some point down the road. On SmackDown this week, I thought it was a solid show, all things considered. We had Daniel Bryan interrupting Miz TV, which was hosted by, of course, The Miz, with the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Bludgeon Brothers, really just discussing what happened at the end of last week's SmackDown with the Bludgeon Brothers targeting Daniel Bryan, obviously getting no answers out of them because they don't speak largely. 
Uh, Rusa beat Xavier Woods in what was a pretty good match. And you would think it'd be a, like always standard squash match, but now Woods got in a lot more offense than I think a lot of people thought he would. But to me, as much as this was a showcase for Rusev ahead of a shot at the WWE Championship at Extreme Rules next month, this was also an opportunity for Woods to make a name for himself in singles competition. Because it's been reported for a while now that officials have their eyes on, you know, making the New Day singles stars and breaking them off into one-on-one competition. And I thought this was a uh, great showing from Woods. The guy should not be overlooked. Um, I think in the ring, the guy is second to none. Uh, Big E, I think they already have their plans for him as a top star or being close to the top of the card. Kofi's obviously already established in singles competition. Woods really isn't, but he should by no means be overlooked because he, in his own right, is also excellent. And I thought this was a great showing from here as well. So also on SmackDown this week, we had a United States Championship title defense from Jeff Hardy. It was supposed to be Jeff Hardy and Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Nakamura actually got bit by a police dog on Monday night at the airport. What a weird injury that is. So hopefully he's not out for too, too long. Can't hit the Kinsasha with a uh, with a dog bite in your leg. But anyway, uh, this was a fine match. Jeff Hardy taking on the, uh, or, you know, issuing an open challenge, being answered by Eric Young. Kind of a nothing match. It was good for what it was. Um, it, it was decent. But I thought the subsequent six-man tag team match with Jeff Hardy and the Usos taking on Sanity was a lot better. Now, my issue with this is this, is that you have this really fun match. You have Sanity come in after not being on TV for fucking two months. They finally debut. They lay out the Usos, and what was a good debut? Then they wrestled their first match as a unit on TV, and they fucking lost clean. What? Like, we've been waiting for Sanity to show up for like two months now. Two months, okay? They show up, they have a good debut, they lay out the Usos, they get all these vignettes, and then they lose. They fucking lost. It wasn't even like they lost by DQ, or they lost after a screwy finish. No! They lost clean, one, two, three, in the middle of the fucking ring. Why? Why? I mean, it's not... It's not one of those things where it's like they're doomed to fail from this point forward, but it's like... I, I don't understand what goes through their head at times like this because it makes it very obvious that they don't have big plans for these guys if they're just going to go out there and fucking lose. I thought that was so dumb to have them lose their first match as a unit on the main roster. Didn't they go undefeated in NXT for like six months or some shit like that? I thought it was so stupid. So dumb. So again, they could always rebound. I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying they're damaged goods or they're you know, dead in the water or whatever. But it's like, if you're going to debut this chaotic trio where they go out and do whatever the fuck they want, they have a good look, they can go in the ring, have exciting six-man tag team matches, and then they lose clean as a sheet in their first match on TV, it sends the wrong message. A major message that these guys have no real future, that the powers that be, the officials, officials have no real plans for them, and that makes me worried. It's like, why not just stay in NXT at that point? You know, if they're just going to be brought up just to lose and become just another act on the main roster. Whereas where they could be brought in with a head of steam and build some momentum and become an unstoppable unit. But nope, they're brought in, fucking lost, and that's it. They lose. They lost like a lo- bunch of losers. They're losers. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see if they bounce back next week and they take the tag team titles or... 
Eric Young gets another shot at the U.S. title and he wins. I, I don't fucking know, but whatever the case might be, um, I, I do. Th- I, I, I thought the match was good, but I just thought it was a really weird decision to have those guys get beat in their first TV match on SmackDown. Again, does not give me high hopes for their future on the blue brand. I just thought that was really, really stupid. Also on the show this week, we had Becky Lynch beating Sonya Deville in a good match. Um, Paige scheduled the match next week between James Ellsworth and Asuka, which uh, should be interesting, I guess. And then the main event, Daniel Bryan taking on one half of the SmackDown Tag Team Champions Harper in what was a very good match. Um, ended in a DQ, kind of a lot like what we saw on, on Monday's Raw, so almost a copycat finish, which was a bit disappointing, with the same exact aftermath, too, with someone coming to the aid of Daniel Bryan, but whatever. This was a bit more satisfying. So Daniel Bryan gets beat up by the Bludgeon Brothers, and then who else to save Daniel Bryan than Kane, who we have not seen on WWE TV, if I'm not mistaken, since WrestleMania when he was in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. And even before that, he was, like, doing nothing on TV. He was uh, feuding with Strowman at the end of last year, earlier this year, which was thankfully wrapped up um, after dragging on for almost three months. Um, but, yeah, Kane is back on TV. He's back on SmackDown. Now, I hate the fact they, had, they brought him back with no real explanation at all. And maybe Paige says next week, oh, we got Kane and then Raw gets someone else and they made a trade, but it's like, having the guy show up in whatever show that he pleases makes the brand split look completely fucking pointless, but what else is new? It's not as bad as it used to be back in like 2011, 2012, it could be way worse, don't get me wrong, but it's like, little stuff like this makes the biggest difference, but nonetheless, um, Kane and Daniel Bryan back together, at long last, Team Hell No has reunited, and it feels so good, the crowd popped big, they were very happy to see Team Hell No back together. And I have mixed feelings about it. Because I, 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 you know, with Daniel Bryan, I feel like they could be doing more with him. I'm not saying I'll put the WWE title on him right now and keep the belt on him forever. But I think he's above the tag team titles. The Team Hell No thing has legs because people are interested. Um, you know, Team Hell No is a very popular act five, six years ago. So giving him one more run, you know, it, it's, it's cool. I think it's cool. As long as people are into it, and they're allowed to kind of be as funny as they were years ago, it could be a lot of fun. But I think with Brian, there's so many people that he could be working with right now, from Nakamura to The Miz to Samoa Joe to freaking Andrade Cien Almas. Where the hell did he go? Um, there's a lot of people he could be feuding with right now. Like, why why the Bludgeon Brothers? You know, the match could be good at Extreme Rules. We were told by Paige it will be Team Hell No versus the Bludgeon Brothers for the SmackDown Tag Team titles at that pay-per-view. So I'm looking forward to it, but... Like, what do you do with Samoa Joe in the meantime? What do you do with The Miz in the meantime? What do you do with Andrade in the meantime? Nakamura, I guess, is going after the U.S. title soon enough. But what do you do with those other heels if Daniel Bryan is busy in the fucking tag team division? So maybe it'll breathe some... Maybe it'll breathe some much-needed life into the stagnant tag team scene on SmackDown. And if so, that's great. But with Daniel, I feel like, eh, you know, they could be doing more with the guy. I got it when they put a, when they put him in a feud with Big Cass that lasted longer than it should have because no one really cared and the matches weren't that good. The Money in the Bank match was good. It wasn't great by any means. Um, but it's like, eh, you know, they could be doing more with Brian. I thought after that feud, okay, he paid his dues. He's back in the ring. Give him a top-tier program. Not to say this won't be a top-tier storyline, but Kane being in a, a top feud in 2018 does not a hell of a, little lot, not a, hell of a whole lot for me. But, you know, whatever. 
Um, if they can make the most of what they're given, the matches are entertaining, the segments are entertaining, then who am I to complain? But I am hoping once this thing runs its course, once the uh, reunion run, the uh, farewell tour for Daniel Bryan and Kane, I guess, runs its course. And more so for Team Hell No and Kane specifically, as opposed to Daniel Bryan. I'm not implying that Bryan's going to leave the company when his contract expires in a few months. I would hope not. Um, but once, you know, WWE gets this thing out of their system, then hopefully then we can move on to Bryan being positioned as a bigger deal on SmackDown. And he still is a big deal. He's still all over the show. But by that I mean he's feuding with Joe or Miz or Andrade or really anyone else that's not in the tag team division and isn't awful like Big Cass. There's just a hell of a lot more people he could be feuding with right now that, not that he could have better matches with, even though that's kind of the case, but people that he could gel well against that aren't, you know, I don't know, just people that he isn't, you know, just treading his, you know, just treading water against. I don't want Daniel Bryan just floundering on the show, going from random feud to random feud, because the company has no direction for him. And Daniel Bryan should not feel directionless. He's one of the biggest stars that they have. So if he's just out there facing the tag team champions and facing this guy without any real long-term direction, then that kind of concerns me. But... If they have in their mind this will be a one-and-done type thing or maybe a two-pay-per-view thing where they go in there, have a lot of fun, win the belts, drop the belts, and that's it, and then Brian moves on, that's okay. Maybe this is merely designed to kill time for Brian before he moves on to Miz or Joe or the WWE title. But in the meantime, it's like, eh, I don't have, I'm not too, too optimistic. They know what they're doing here. As long as it doesn't lead to another series of Daniel Bryan and Kane matches, which we saw a fucking million of from 2012 to 2014, 2015, then I'm okay. I'm okay with that. So, again, time will tell, but uh, it seems that Daniel Bryan can never truly escape Kane, whether he's on his own in tag team competition, what have you. Uh, but at least, you know, at least they're an entertaining act, and they'll at least spice up the SmackDown tag team division, which has been dying a death in recent months. But that was SmackDown on Tuesday. 205 Live was a good show on Tuesday night. That saw the debut of Leo Rush. And I think I said this a few weeks ago, but the guy is really, really good. Um, I like that not only was he able to showcase his skills in the match itself against Dewey James on 205 Live on Tuesday, but he was also able to kind of show some personality because he is a heel, which I think is very smart. Because his babyface, his arsenal screams babyface. But his personality screams heel. The guy's like 20 years old, 20, 21 years old or something like that. Something crazy young like that. Um, but after he got all that heat from the Twitter comments and the whole Emma issue, that, that situation late last year, which was blown up to be way more than what it was. Um, you know, he has some heat with fans still, for whatever reason. Like, people should get over it, but whatever. Um, the thing with Leo Rush, at least they're kind of capitalizing off of that. And kind of turning that into his character. That he's disrespectful. He's arrogant. He's just a flat out prick. He wears all this jewelry and whatever. That he has to take off before all these matches. Before his matches. So I think that's a great character to run with. Um, from the get go. And he had a good showing on Tuesday night. And then we transitioned into NXT on a Wednesday. To close out the show. Another good episode of NXT TV. Uh, we officially kicked off the build to take over Brooklyn 2. Which is coming up in less than two months. And it's really right around the corner. Um, the way that these takeovers are spaced out, at least for right now, it seems like we have one every two to three months. And this one's coming up in like a month and a half. Um, but I am excited because the Brooklyn shows are always amazing. This year should be no different. Uh, we kicked off this week's show with 
Aleister Black addressing the audience, talking about how I think Lars Sullivan wrestled half the match against Black with a broken jaw, which, if true, is super impressive. But he was soon interrupted by Tommaso Ciampa, who was coming off a win over Johnny Gargano at TakeOver Chicago 2. So if they are doing Black and Ciampa at TakeOver, I'm I'm here for that. Um, if they want to do a three-way with Gargano, Ciampa, and Black, I'm also here for that. That could be a lot of fun, too. Um, as long as the NXT Championship is not taking the back seat for the third straight takeover, then I'm okay with that. Uh, I know Gargano and Ciampa had two match-of-the-year candidates, and they should have closed out their two respective takeovers. But bottom line is, Aleister Black feels like an afterthought right now because he's, you know, been playing second fiddle to Gargano and Ciampa. So if they kind of incorporate that into their feud, um, I'm all I'm all for it. And the matches could be great, too. I mean, Ciampa and Black is a very fresh feud. So if that's the direction they're going for the NXT title, um, again, like I said, I'm here for that. That could be a lot of fun. Uh, and I thought their segment on Tuesday, or Wednesday, rather, kicking off their feud was well done and um, positioned Ciampa as the next number one contender to the championship. Kona Reeds was in action once again, facing Max Humberto, whatever his name was, this might have been Reeves' third appearance, I think, on NXT TV over the last two or three months. The guy's still not doing anything for me, like, at all. He's just he's just not that good. He's just really not. He's really just kind of there. Um, as a performer, or just the gimmick, it feels like a knockoff of, like, John Morrison or whatever. Um, he's just not that good. And this was really not that impressive a performance, in my eyes, from Kona Reeves, from the, the finest, as he calls himself. There's nothing... All that fine about Kona Reeves. He's marginal, not all too fine. Uh, then we move to the women's division here for our next match. Candice LeRae taking on Lacey Evans. What was a very fun match. LeRae picking up the victory. Um, Evans continues to impress and improve in every outing that I see her in. I think having her work against seasoned competitors like LeRae and like Kyrie Sane is going to be a huge help to her because she's not going to learn a hell of a whole lot working with like the Aaliyahs of the world. Or like the Vanessa Bournes of the world. Um, having your work with women that can go is only going to help her case. So, and help her cause. But this was a good match. And Larray picked up the victory as she sets her sights on becoming NXT Women's Champion. Then the main event was supposed to see Mustache Mountain in action against two job guys. But before they could wrestle them, the job guys got laid out by Undisputed Era. And before Undisputed Era could uh, make the jump on Mustache Mountain... Ricochet made the save, setting the stage for a six-man tag team main event. Undisputed Era taking on Ricochet and Mustache Mountain, an excellent main event. This was a ton of fun. Again, very well paced. The crowd was into it. The action was electrifying. Ricochet is a fucking star. All six of these guys have great chemistry with one another, but just, just Ricochet screams, not even star, but superstar every single time he's out there. That reversal out of the uh, finisher, whatever they call it, from O'Reilly and Strong, where it's like they go high-low, whatever it's called, Ricochet flipped out of it. Flipped out of it. It was an amazing sight to see. You'd have to go back and watch it. The whole match was amazing. But that one spot was, like, jaw-drop worthy. That's how great it was. But despite that and Ricochet hitting the 640 on Adam Cole, whatever his finisher is, something crazy impressive like that, um, he hits the finisher... He gets dragged out of the ring by Kyle O'Reilly. Roderick Strong lays out Ricochet in the meantime, throws him back in the ring, and Adam Cole pins Ricochet for the victory. 
Um, and I would assume that they're heading in the direction of an Adam Cole Ricochet feud for the NXT North American Championship. And that sounds fucking awesome. So if that's what they're going for, a takeover Brooklyn, maybe they do a three-way with Velveteen Dream. Again, that could be awesome. So I'm really excited for what they have in store for Ricochet and Cole and also Undisputed Era in Mustache Mountain. I think they are getting the rematch for the NXT Tag Team titles at, on an upcoming episode of NXT TV. Not to spoil anything, but that is coming up um, fairly soon, I would imagine. But yeah, great main event. And our first official show, en route to TakeOver Brooklyn 4 in just two short months. Um, but that was about it. That was about it for the week in WWE and wrestling on the whole. My predictions for best in the world at the start of the show. And then breaking down the world of WWE from Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live to NXT. Another good week in the world of wrestling to close out what has been a very exciting and entertaining first half of 2018. The second half, as I mentioned earlier, should be just as good. So with all that being said, guys, we will be back next week breaking down everything else that is going on in the world of wrestling. Um, we'll likely be sharing my two cents on the best in the world pay-per-view from this coming Friday on next Thursday's show, so stay tuned for that. And also, more on the Extreme Rules front. What are we getting at the pay-per-view? What else is soon to develop on Raw and SmackDown? Stay tuned to WrestleRant Radio in the weeks ahead for more on that. But anyway, guys, thank you for checking in and tuning in to WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday. I thoroughly appreciate it. If you want more of WrestleRant Radio, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcast. You'll get not only every archived episode dating back to October of 2013, but also all the new episodes every single Thursday. As soon as I put the episode up on Podbean, the episode goes out to iTunes literally instantly. So you get the episode on your streaming device within seconds. Uh, and the shows are usually up. I try to get them up by midnight on Thursdays, but it has been later in recent weeks because I have been extremely busy. Um, usually around the afternoon time, I get the episodes up. But nonetheless, thank you for tuning into the show. You guys can check me out on the socials, on Twitter at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. Also on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham G.S. and Matthews. So until next week, guys, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the 4th of July next Wednesday. I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.